This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to CoronaCast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm CoronaCast producer Will Ockenden. It's Monday the 8th of February. That's right. Norman's not here this week. He's finally taking Australia's most well-earned holiday. But we've got Will with us this week, as well as a raft of excellent guests, including today's guest, technology reporter James Pertill from the ABC Science Unit. Welcome, James. Hello, Will and Tegan. So one of the big bugbears over the course of the pandemic has been misinformation, that there's people who are trying to spread useful information about the coronavirus and its vaccines and all those sorts of things. And then on the other side of the imaginary line, especially uh, on, on social media, are people who are actively spreading misinformation. And I think everyone who's listening has probably got one family member or loved one who seems to have fallen afoul of this in the past. So, James, what have you been looking at recently in the fight to combat misinformation? Thanks, Tegan. Yeah, I've definitely got at least one family member who is a little bit hesitant about vaccines. And the experts I've been speaking with are also concerned about that misinformation campaign that that you mentioned earlier. So I've been looking at ways, at solutions to misinformation, and particularly around uh, vaccine misinformation. You know, the COVID vaccine will be rolling out in Australia in a couple of weeks. And there's an expectation that there's going to be more and more misinformation about vaccines on social media and particularly um, being read by Australians in the next few weeks. So what are the solutions? You know, right now there's sort of two or three broad solutions to this. One is to limit the spread of misinformation by, um, you know, tweaking the algorithm on Facebook or Twitter to stop the misinformation spreading. And sometimes you see the little badge come up that sort of says, you know, for trustworthy information, go here. It sort of points you to the WHO or something like that. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, that's kind of debunking almost. So that's almost the next one, which is, you know, once the misinformation is spread, you can start to correct that misinformation by saying, yeah, that's not quite true. You know, President Trump didn't win the 2020 election, for example. You know, we saw a lot of that around the election. But the problem with all these things is, you know, they haven't proved very successful because we've been doing them for some time and the misinformation continues to spread. So I looked at, uh, you know, we often talk about misinformation as, as a disease and I wanted to see if there was the equivalent of a vaccine, something that would prevent the misinformation spreading rather than trying to cure it after it spread. What did you find? Is it possible? Yeah, so this is an idea that, that has been around for a while. Um, as far back as the 60s, you know, the framework for this idea was developed. But in the last decade, it's really picked up steam. And uh, I spoke with a um, psychologist at the University of Cambridge, Professor Sander van der Linden. He was telling me about a, a study he did in 2018 where he actually developed an online game to, to dem- demonstrate these tricks of misinformation. The idea is by exposing people to the strategies of misinformation, the kinds of tools of persuasion. People once exposed are better at recognising those tricks later on and recognise the information as unreliable. So, you know, he wanted to develop a game that would that would serve to teach people these tools and then he wanted to test whether after playing the game they were better at recognising misinformation. That's what they did. They invented the game and it turned out to be a really fun game. I've played it. I think you've played it as well, Will. Yeah, I was just playing it before. Um, and it's obviously COVID specific, but yeah, it's in- really it's interesting. So you get people to play the role of the manipulator, right? Like, Will, how did you go? Were you a really good manipulator or do you need to improve? No, I, I got I got my likes up. I was uh, I got 
my credibility was shot, but I um I definitely had a lot of likes. So my misinformation campaign was going quite well, actually. Yeah, I would I would have to say. So I should say that you know in the game you play an aspiring fake news tycoon. So you're actually putting out headlines and tweets and so on, trying to you know incite emotion or, or polarize the audience or, or spread conspiracy theory. And then the more followers you get, the the more successful you are. What I like about this concept, uh, and it's completely subjective, is it it seems a little less earnest than the traditional debunking approach, which is really valuable, but maybe people are less likely to engage with that traditional approach because it's very like, here, read this, you know, this is the truth, and this is more of a fun way of kind of building people's defences up without them sort of realising it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It was quite fun playing the game. I I think it's been played like a million times, which is you know, pretty pretty remarkable and, and shows, you know, how much more fun this approach is and, and how much more engaging. And what, uh, like, what evidence is there for, like, since we're talking about evidence for, like, the actual efficacy of games like this? Is there sort of any science to say that this actually does work rather than just being sort of a bit more entertaining than people debunking things? They took 15,000 of those players and then tested them before and after with the ability to discern fake news. And they found that there was a significant improvement. And interestingly, the improvement wasn't limited to, say, detecting the kind of fake news that they had been exposed to playing the game. It was just misinformation in general. Being exposed to that common bag of tricks of misinformation made the people in in, in that experiment better at recognizing it overall. It wasn't just, you know, COVID misinformation or, or climate misinformation. It was just any kind. And, and that's just one test. I think there's been about 20 or so of these types of experiments in the last decade or so. So it's, um, yeah, there's some pretty good uh, evidence for it. It seems to me that the sort of people who are most likely to want to play a game like this are maybe the people who are already pretty savvy to it. What do we know about whether people who are at more risk of falling afoul of misinformation are actually going to find and play something like this and be protected? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point. You know, I think it's probably too early to say whether people would want to play the games or not. I think they're probably just more interesting, though, than anything we're doing right now. Well, if you Coronacasters want to at least have a go of playing the game and maybe send it to someone that you love, you can look at goviralgame.com and see if you have what it takes to be a master manipulator. And that was James Pertill, a technology reporter from the ABC's Science Unit. So, Tegan, obviously it's Monday, uh, looking back over the weekend at the coronavirus case numbers as they've been coming through. We've been, all eyes have been on Melbourne or in Victoria due to the one case last week, but it seems like no additional cases over the weekend and good testing numbers of sort of making everyone feel a little bit more relaxed, though still a little bit longer to go before we know for sure. Yeah, it feels like we're in pretty good shape in Australia right now, um, as we have been for for most of the past few months with a with the exception of a few outbreaks. So yeah, good news so far, but probably too early to let out our breath completely yet. And also there was a, an interesting report over the weekend talking about Oxford, the AstraZeneca vaccine being not as effective against the SA, the South African variant as they probably would be hoping for. Yeah, so that's sort of in line with what we've seen with the other vaccines that have been tested against that strain that has been identified in South Africa. So even though it's not great news, it's not completely surprising. The good thing is that Oxford AstraZeneca said just a week or so ago that they were looking forward to having a revised version of their vaccine available by I think the end of this year, which was going to be adapted 
to fight against these new variants that we've seen. So, and we also know that the mRNA vaccines, which of which Astra is not one, are a bit easier to modify as we go. So, yeah, it's not great news, but it fits within what we've seen elsewhere. And obviously, the vaccine companies are, are actively looking at that and adapting to it. And on the subject of vaccine, we've had a quite a few questions, obviously, about them. And one of the common ones at the moment is, why is getting any vaccine better than getting none? And by that, I think they mean, why take the less effective AstraZeneca when compared to, say, the more effective Pfizer or Moderna vaccine? I think the thing that's important to remember is that it's not just one and done with the coronavirus vaccine, like it is with some of the childhood vaccinations that we get, where you get vaccinated against polio when you're a kid and then you'd sort of never really have to worry about that for the rest of your life. It looks like coronavirus vaccines are going to be a bit more like the flu shot that you get annually. And on the flu shot, one thing that is really important to keep in mind is that in Australia, we've had a lot of talk about how some of the vaccines that are available globally have this sort of efficacy rate in the 90s. And then the Oxford AstraZeneca one that we're getting here in Australia for most people has a much lower reported efficacy rate. But it's still on par with a really good flu shot. So that gives you a bit of an idea of the benchmark of just how many people will be protected against COVID if all you got was the Oxford vaccine. The risk seems very low to getting these vaccines and the payoff is better than nothing. And it's not like you're never going to get another coronavirus vaccine again. This is the first generation. And so what experts are saying to me is that the vaccines that are available now are great options and we might have even better options in the future. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Yep, that's right. Send us a question, abc.net.au slash coronacast. This week, we're, we're looking forward to welcoming on a virologist, an epidemiologist, and hopefully a social scientist who can talk about uh, our attitudes towards the pandemic. So if you've got questions for them, send them in and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.